Welcome to the BMO Road to Recovery podcast. I'm your host, Eric Bulls. Businesses have begun to turn their focus to the future beyond the COVID-19 pandemic, but the playbook of the past won't work in the future. In this series, we hear from experts across a variety of industries and professions that offer ideas on how leaders can address some of the critical facets of work and life that have and will continue to fundamentally change how businesses operate. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO, its affiliates or subsidiaries. Hello and welcome to another episode of Road to Recovery, Expert Conversations. I'm your host, Eric Bulls. I don't have to tell you that 2020 has been a year unlike any we've ever seen. We shop differently, we eat differently, we work differently, and we bank differently, all the while trying to manage our own physical and mental well-being. So what's next? How will the COVID-19 pandemic continue to change how we live our everyday lives? My guests today are looking ahead at the way different facets of our lives will continue to change. Dr. John White is the Chief Medical Officer at WebMD, Cam Fowler is the Chief Strategy and Operations Officer at BMO, and Erica Coleman is the Group Head of BMO's U.S. Food, Consumer, and Agribusiness Group that works with clients in the grocery and food and beverage production industries. I want to thank all of you for joining me today. So we're going to jump right into it, and this first question is going to be for you, Dr. White. How has the pandemic evolved how we've been able to interact with friends, family, co-workers and the general public. Well, thank you for having me, Eric, and it's great to be with all of you. As you pointed out, it it really has changed how we do everything. You know, 7.2 million cases in the United States, 160,000 cases in Canada. And, And really, it has created this sense of loneliness for many people in isolation. You know, Canada, I I wish we had used the phrase that Canada has used of physical distancing instead of social distancing. And and that makes a difference. We know at WebMD, search for anxiety and anxiety-related medicines are seven times what they were before. So people are really struggling. We have this you know, infectious disease epidemic, but we're also having a mental health pandemic. And the point now that we need to focus on, Eric, is our personal health as well. We want to figure out how do we stay sane while we stay safe as we move forward. Uh, That right there, staying sane while staying safe. Uh, Yeah, I've seen so much, Doctor, in terms of the isolation, the impact of isolation and its impact on so many. Thank you for that. Uh, Not only in relationship to how people are doing from a mental health, from a uh, uh, issue, but this next question, I wanna begin with you, Cam, is in regards to our workplaces. So our workplaces on March 1st look much different than our workplaces on March 31st. And what was that transition like for both essential and frontline workers as well as those who worked in roles that didn't require an actual physical presence. Thanks, Eric. Yes, you know the 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 reality of the financial services industry being um, populated with essential workers added added complexity in those early days, to be sure. So the focus for us was on mobilizing quickly, but most importantly, the health and safety of our employees and and that of our customers. So, um, you know, many steps involved with that. We were the beneficiaries of a great deal of external support during those early days. 
because countries primarily to the east of us had experienced more uh, than we had, we were able to learn from China, from Italy, uh, from, from peer banks across those countries. Many of us spent uh, almost every day online with very generous uh, folks from those uh, countries helping us think through, along with advice from uh, folks like uh, Dr. White and beyond, we're able to chart a course that I think was quite useful. Um, on the frontline side, it was really the, the obvious bits, phys physical space changes from signage, decals, tape, screens. For those that were um, in those roles and in other roles, we quickly realized how important it was to um, stabilize our supply chain, especially as it relates to PPE products, to make sure that we could get what we needed in terms of sanitizers, masks, etc. And then the complexity of getting those who weren't necessarily in BMO offices set up to work from the location that they would be in primarily at home. And for our organization, Eric, that involved getting nearly 20,000 people set up to work from home in just a matter of days, which um, was probably one of the most important things that um, that happened to us. And then I would just, the final point I would make links to Dr. White's point, which is wrapped around all of that physical safety, obviously, but as the days and weeks have gone by, the mental health of our teams and of our customers has become uh, quite a prominent concern and area of focus. Oh, thank you, Cam, so much. I, I just think of the, just the challenge with uncertainty already in people's individual lives. Now it was uncertainty inside of uncertainty, you know, and, yes. and but I, I got to compliment you. The speed by which you all had to adapt was, wow, amazing. So this question number three is going to be for you, Erica. And that question is, anyone who went to, to the store saw a difference on the shelves. And what was the consumer behavior and how did retailers actually adjust? So I, I think we all remember just how chaotic those first few weeks uh, under shutdown, uh, what they were and, and what the grocery stores looked like. Um, consumers, you know, were pantry loading. Um, retailers, distributors, manufacturers really struggled to keep up with the demand for, for food, for, for course tape, toilet paper, all the products that, uh, that, that are essential. Um, and the shock to the supply chain was, was immediate. Uh, what we saw were manufacturers simplifying their product lineup so that they could scale up production. And at the same time, we saw retailers instituting policies and procedures to keep their employees safe and reassure their customers that it was safe to shop. Uh, and of course, what we saw was e-commerce and, and on, online uh, shopping really take off. Uh, however, you know, we also saw retailers really struggle to keep up with curbside pickup, delivery, uh, and, and executing that strategy. Uh, I think the other thing that we saw, which was really interesting, uh, was how quickly we saw different players pivot in the, in the food sector. Uh, and as an example of that was really the food service uh, distributors. I mean, they worked with the retailers to relabel and, and repackage their products uh, to be sold in the grocery store. Man, you, Erica, thank you so much for that. I, I, it just, I, when you were describing just some of the behavior, I still remember how invaluable toilet paper and paper towels were, right? <laughs> Going through that process. <laughs> uh, this, question, 
<laughs> yes. This question is going to be, again, for Cam and Eric. And Cam, I'm going to, uh, and Erica, I'm going to start with you. But this question asks, there was an initial shock to many organizations, but the plus side was an acceleration of innovation. So what were some of the advancements that happened and how did consumers respond? I'll, uh, I'll lead off here, Eric. Thank you. The, um, the, the change in circumstance, as you say, was an, an amazing opportunity for us to, I think, consolidate some of the gains that we had made in terms of digital and innovative capabilities and also to accelerate others. I would think that we would say the most pronounced changes early days were an increase in digital adoption uh, from consumers, both those who were doing some digital activity with us began to do more. Those that had been limit, limited in their digital engagement um, increased uh, as well. So adoption being uh, probably one of the big changes. Maybe the bigger change, Eric, was the, the ability to be more flexible with our resource. And I'll give two examples here. One, we have, uh, like many large organizations, thousands of talented people that work in our contact centers across North America. And through this change, we took the opportunity to be able to create the technology that would enable those teams to work from home as opposed to the contact center. That just gave us a tremendous amount of flexibility to serve clients uh, around the clock, literally, while keeping our employees safe. And the same thing applied to our branches, where we made adjustments to our technology and uh, enabled our branch teams, many of whom were, were working in support of branches that were closed also to take contact center calls to help customers who had questions or concerns. And so our capacity to support customers real time actually radically increased during the early days of COVID, which was important. The next sort of innovation here, I think, Eric, though, is for us all to translate this new digital openness that we have, whether it's curbside or healthcare, et cetera, uh, to the way we think about financial services and for uh, financial organizations to move away from digital as a channel through which we might sell or service certain products to a full operating model where we conceive of products and services that are actually designed for digital consumption and digital servicing. And that's, I think, a tremendous opportunity, whether it's in the self-service areas of retail or in other parts of financial services. I think really a, a tremendous opportunity because what that will really do is improve the experience and efficiency, of course, but enable us to invest more time in human advice, which as we travel into a, a more challenging economic backdrop is going to be more important than ever before. Oh, Cam, that, that, your statement of going from a channel to an actual operating model, I actually coached an executive who was responsible for what is now a model. At the time, it was just a channel. And the pressure okay. that they are now facing within that organization, but you described it right there so well. I'm going to make sure I share that uh, your insights with him. Um, uh, in terms of uh, how this even influences, uh, uh, you know, innovation around retails. Erica, can you speak to that? Sure. Um, you know, I think when we look pre-COVID, many of us would look at the grocery store as a as a destination, a place to spend time, discover new brands, um, and with COVID, you know, that that all ended. So we were not hanging out in stores anymore. Um, you know, retailers, just as, as Cam said, it was it was all about digital. It was all about uh, online 
identifying what the offering is. Uh, but I think the interesting part to that, the, the other piece to that is it became very important for retailers to be focused on service. And so that having that employee who is delivering the, the groceries to someone's car with curbside or delivering to someone's house, that person became the brand, became the, the brand ambassador for that retailer. And so it's just a really interesting uh, dichotomy. On the one hand, it's, it's, it's not very personal with online, but yet the service piece was very important and that human interaction. Oh, thank you, Erica. Um, I want to ask Dr. White, this question's not a simple question, but that's why we have you here as an expert. Uh, the question is, where are we now and what are or what is your estimation of what pandemic life will be for the next six to 12 months? Well, you know, Eric, I have a lot of books behind me, but I don't have a crystal ball. But I'll tell you what we know. And if you think about it, remember, it's called the novel coronavirus because it's new. There's a lot of things that we don't know and we're learning as we go. But I'll start up up front in terms of, you know, we have to move away from this idea of, you know, when do we return to normal as to how do we adjust? in terms of what's going on. You know, we had nothing in January when you think about it. Now we have multiple therapeutics that we're looking at, remdesivir, dexamethasone, monoclonal antibodies. Let's talk about the vaccine that's on everyone's mind. Here's a date to remember. October 22nd is a day that the FDA here in the United States is going to review some data. But even if a drug is approved shortly after that, a vaccine or authorized under emergency use, it's not gonna change anything for you or me in the United States or in Canada, because it's gonna be the first responders, those that are most at risk, the elderly, those with underlying conditions. You know, a wide scale vaccination program may not be available till the spring. So how are we gonna to continue to adjust? Back to that point that you liked of staying sane, while staying safe, while continuing to try to have some sense of normalcy, build that COVID bubble that many of us have talked about, slowly expand your group. Talk about how do we manage risk in terms of opening schools and opening businesses while keeping people safe. So I think we're gonna to continue to iterate over the next few months, continue to open up in stages while closely monitoring the outbreaks in the community. So that's a lot of testing as Canada has been doing very well and the United States is catching up. And then a lot of tracing as well, finding out who might have been exposed. That's how we're gonna return to, to some sense of normal, control the infection in the community, and then businesses and schools will continue to be able to reopen more. That's my prediction in terms of how we continue to move forward. Oh, thank you, Dr. White. It's, uh, we've made a lot of progress, but maintaining and continuing that progress is where the work is, right? I mean, there's, uh, there's a tendency. We should, we should celebrate that in terms of multiple vaccine candidates, multiple therapeutics, multiple you know, testing strategies. It's a story of success in many ways. Thank you, Dr. White. Uh, this next question is going to be for you, Erica. And that question is, now that we've adjusted how we shop, how are retailers and restaurants planning on evolving the shopping experience and what will that mean to consumers? Sure. Um, 
it, it is changing, but um, I think what is continues to be key is really the consumer is just at the center of, of how manufacturers and retailers and, and restaurants uh, are, are moving forward. Um, as we talked about just, you know, with retailers, um, yes, online and I think what they're, what, then what they are able to do with the data analytics coming out of their e-commerce, their platforms, is really perhaps to more personalize the offering and, and the experience for the, uh, for the online buyer. Um, I, I think as well, you know, when you look at uh, QSRs, quick serve restaurants, um, before COVID, 60 to 70% of their business was drive-through. And, and so they were able to quickly adapt to the, the new environment. Um, however, you know, now it's all about kind of investing in technology in order to move people through more quickly through those lines. Um, and I think too, you're gonna see other uh, restaurant concepts who will be adopting, who will be, you know, drive-through will be essential uh, in order to have that offering to you know, make up for the lack of, of in-house, uh, in, in restaurant dining. Um, and speaking of restaurants, you, know, you all know, they have been the hardest hit by all of this. Um, and we see them really being innovative with their, their menus, their, their pickup, their delivery as well. Uh, but we have winter coming on and it will really be a challenging uh, environment as, as we kind of move through that. Yeah, thank you, Erica. Um, along that same line, this I'm going to begin this question uh, with you, Cam, and Erica, I will be coming to you with this one as well. Uh, but the question is, where does banking delivery go from here? And what is the role of in-person interactions, whether on the branch side or the business side? And Cam, I'm asking you to answer that first. Thank you. You know, I think it's important to start a response to a question like that with a reminder on why we're here, which is, you know, we, we're all in the business of um, customer client experience. So that's the starting point. And um, with a changing world, important to reassess how we meet customers where they are, but that's the objective. I believe that the primary um, focus for organizations like ours needs to be continuing to drive towards the more digital operating models that we described earlier in the conversation, such that we have access to more and more convenient advice to help customers, regardless of the segment they're in, in our retail businesses, small business, wealth, business and commercial banking, right up through capital markets. So that's the objective. Maximize the human interaction that is focused on advice, minimize the human activity focused on servicing and other activities that could be done more efficiently via digital. That's, I think, the equation we're looking to solve. Three three main things in there, Eric, that, that we're focused on. Number one, um, the power of digital is convenience and reach and, um, uh, I think, confidence. Uh, Within that, though, important to continually work towards ensuring that those customers that join us through digital channels see us to be their primary organization and we have the depth of relationship with them such that we have the right to give the human advice. That's point number one, primacy through digital. Uh, number two, continue to drive towards more 
convenient digital servicing, it's easier for everybody. And then number three is probably the hardest point, and that is, as the world is changing, so is the technology that serves the world. And many organizations like ours that have been around, we've been around for 203 years. We know what we're doing and we need to move with the times. And the magnitude of the shift in the capability, cost and security of available technology to drive new models is profound. And we need to continue to push uh, to ensure that the the move towards digital operating models goes right through the stack of the organization so that we can go back to objective number one, which is you know, more human capacity to give advice. Yeah, I, I, not only am I um, uh, inspired and encouraged by those three points, uh, and I like the cyclical nature of those three points, uh, by the way, but I am very impressed in organizations right now who are at the size and scope that you all are yet the speed and agility you're making this transition. I mean, that is uh, not only to be commended, uh, but hopefully study well enough so that same practice continues on. Because I, I don't, my personal opinion, I don't see that changing, right? I, I just feel like the speed of it is gonna be continuous. Uh, uh, thank you so much for that, Cam. Can you speak to that as well, Erica, about the, the, the whole shopping and banking experience? Sure, sure. So, uh, you know, certainly as, as I spoke about what retailers are doing as far as, in, you know, investing in, their, in, in online, it is, uh, I think, elevating their team members to be the brand, to be their brand, as, as we spoke, to be their brand ambassador. And, and that will become, that, that is the interaction that uh, many people will have when they're doing curbside or when they're doing pickup or uh, delivery. So that, how that person is, that is the interaction with the retailer and, and how that uh, consumer will relate. Uh, the other interesting phenomena we're starting to see is really manufacturers trying to reach out direct to consumer to develop that relationship with their brand, with their company. Uh, I was just visiting with a, uh, a CEO this morning and they have uh, a new product that's coming out and it is it was all about using e-commerce, pushing out to develop that relationship with the consumer. So although that may not be an in-person interaction, it is building and developing a relationship that I think is very different how food manufacturers looked at uh, selling uh, before. Thank you for that, uh, Erica. Um, you, that, that, that one of the first statements you, uh, and you referenced it uh, uh, several times, uh, who we view as the brand is many times the individual we're now having to engage with. And, and every time you said that, that's just a great reminder. Uh, I'm actually working with a client now, and unfortunately uh, for them, no matter how much marketing and how great their commercials are, uh, the individual interactions aren't matching that, you know. And so they're 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 really placing a focus there. So thanks for sharing that, uh, Dr. White. I'm going to come to you now in in reference from a medical perspective, and that question is: How are people going to get medical care outside of COVID? as this pandemic continues and beyond. Many of the same principles that Erica and Cam talked about, how we're really changing 
the dynamics of healthcare, which you know isn't the same type of market as the retail may be in terms of demand. But what we're seeing is we're finally are going to have patient centricity, where the patient's in charge and the focus is on the patient as opposed to the medical community. So we have telehealth and telemedicine, right? So I loved Cam's point about, you know, digital. You know, why then do I have to go in to an office when you literally can bring care to me? And, you know, I can see anyone around the country or around the world depending on my needs. Um, and that's a big change. But it's much more than wearables. I mean, it's much more than, uh, you know, telemedicine. It's the use of wearables and sensors and trackers and remote patient monitoring and doing chemotherapy in your living room as opposed to going into the doctor's office. Of course, we're still going to have to go in to have procedures. But, you know, COVID, one silver lining, to be honest, is the acceleration and the adoption of technologies that are going to improve patient care. And, and that's one exciting element of what we're gonna see, you know, in a post-COVID world in terms of healthcare. We're never gonna go back to, you know, why should I sit in a waiting room for 20 minutes after driving 20 minutes? And I'm being generous <laughs> in terms of, you know, the time when it's the same thing with shopping. I can order everything online, go to the grocery store and have them put it in. So it's gonna be about meeting the patient's needs. And, and we're, we refer sometimes to patients as consumers. And we're going to talk more about that in the future. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. White. There, there's so much uh, that you just got through describing that our family is experiencing. My daughter has an autoimmune. And the way that she's now dealing with her uh, rheumatologist, how she's dealing with her other doctor, everything is so digitized and, and it's happening virtually. It's happening. And it's been so convenient that it's normalizing it where why would we do it differently, you know, unless there's a serious situation. So, uh, no, that, that what a great insight. Uh, this last question is for all of you. OK, and I'm going to begin with Cam when I started. But uh, here's the question. Great closing question. It's not likely that even a so-called return to normal will look like how we were living in 2019. So how would you summarize what normal will look like. So I'll begin with you, Cam. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. I think um, I, I agree with you that there's not that much point in focusing on a return to something. I agree with points that were made earlier that are more focused on adaptation, preparation, resilience, etc. Because um, through this topic and other topics, you know, our, our world is going to be changing and changing quickly um, in an enduring way, and we should uh, be prepared for that. I think the the response to that from our organization, from a I think from a professional perspective, needs to be to make permanent the gains that we've been able to achieve during the last six months. And by that, I mean, let's stay focused on um, the speed with which we're making decisions the efficiency with which we're operating, the focus we have on our customers and the way that their needs are changing, the safety and security of our, our, of our employees. And while we're at it, uh, let's take a, a, a advantage of the opportunity of this, of this COVID license to, um, you know, to create the simpler, faster, more streamlined organization that we've aspired to. 
On the personal side for our teams and for ourselves, I think on this line and beyond, um, I suspect that we're going to uh, find ourselves focusing on fewer things. More of those things are going to be the ones that, you know, maybe matter a little more, family, friends, happiness, time. Uh, and surely that's a good thing. Um, I think that's uh, one one thing that uh, I have on my mind. Another is uh, trust. In an industry like mine, ours, uh, in an industry like uh, yours, Dr. White, you know, there will be some things that endure through all of this. The power of trust will probably be chief among them. And so I think it's important that we keep that in mind. Wow, great, great point, Cam. Uh, you, you, it really resonated when, when you were talking about from a personal stem, standpoint. Uh, during this pandemic, one thing I have learned is that uh, very few things actually matter, but those few things matter a whole lot. And actually, this pandemic helped kind of discover what those are. Uh, so thanks so much. Thank Erica, how about so it's interesting. Uh, I, I heard the the new normal phrase referred to as the now normal. So this is this is now normal how we are operating, and I agree with Cam. It it is uh, and what we've learned. Um, you know, we all read about and certainly our clients experience these uh, you know really challenges in the supply chain to deliver food and product to to retailers and uh, to, to consumers. And it really backed up all the way to the farm, to the farm gate. So it just, I, I think we're, we need to be, and, and certainly in the food business, it will be all about agility. Uh, it will be about creating, I think, some slack and flexibility in the supply chain. Um, and, uh, you know, certainly the investing in, in new technology uh, and uh, being able to leverage that um, and a relationship. I think we have all found that through this whole period of time, our relationships, however we are building those through, uh, you know, Zoom meetings or, or through, you know, phone conversations rather than texting, uh, it, it's the same for, for manufacturers and, uh, you know, food is at the center of, of who we do, who we are and, and how we celebrate as families and friends. And, uh, so it, it, it is a, it, it is about the relationship. You know, Erica, when you just said food is at the heart of it, I, uh, my wife told me the other day, uh, and I didn't realize it, how, how, how frequently we now eat together. And I didn't realize how often we weren't, you know, until uh, this pandemic. So, you know, finding the great opportunities that can come out of this difficulty we've all been through is significant. Uh, Dr. White, closing with you. So talk to us about this new normal or now normal as Erica describes it. You give me the hard part and, and I've noticed about those meals, which have been very nice to be able to do, but, you know, really to echo, uh, everything that, that Cam and Erica has said. You know, the other elements that I'd highlight, Eric, are flexibility. Um, so I have a seven-year-old, and is those of you that, you know, have young kids or had young kids, there's a lot of whys. Why do I have to do this? Why do I have to do that? I think that's what we're going to see in the new normal, in the sense of why do you have to go into the office if you can do your job efficiently at home? As I point out, why do you have to go into the doctor's office if it doesn't require a physical or even if it does, I can do some of those 
remotely? You know, why do you have to travel to, to close a deal if it's really not necessary? We're, we're going to have to look into those more, and that can be a good thing. And the other element is resilience. And that's what I'm very hopeful for and also positive about. Industries can be resilient and change, and there's going to be an acceleration of change. But then on a personal level, in terms of what you talked about, we're going to have to figure out what really matters. And we're going to have to start spending more time taking care of ourselves. You know, that's what we're seeing as I opened up with that we're having a mental health pandemic. So we have to acknowledge our feelings. We have to let people know it's okay to be anxious and scared during these times of uncertainty. But how do we plot a path forward together and be resilient and, and try to have a very positive perspective in how can we improve you know, post COVID and, and, and change in many ways um, those things that are gonna help improve our lives personally, professionally, financially. Dr. White, thank you so much. I, I'm, I just want to say in closing, I want to thank all of uh, our three experts, uh, Dr. John White, uh, Cam Fowler, Erica Coleman, uh, not only for your expertise, but for helping everybody listening right now, not only survive these times, but figure out a way to thrive through them. And the things that you all shared with us today is so helpful for that. So I want to thank everyone who's watching. I want to, in closing, also remind everybody not to forget or let me change that. Remember to join us on October 21st at 12 o'clock Eastern, 11 o'clock Central for a LinkedIn Live event where we will discuss how 2020 will change a generation. Again, to our experts, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Don't forget to visit bmo.com forward slash expert conversations. That's bmo.com forward slash expert conversations to watch videos with our experts and hear more insights from BMO. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Inc. and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options or any other activity, which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests, and you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. 
BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets, insecurities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For full legal disclosure, please visit bmocm.com legal. To access our full disclosures for equity research reports, please visit researchglobal0.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public dash disclosure slash.